Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, there are days where, um, if we're preaching from the lectionary, that you feel like the lectionary doesn't offer you much to work with. And then there's other Sundays where it feels like, where in the world could you possibly begin? And a while back, we decided that we would begin with the prophet, Micah. In the prophet Micah, God comes to Judah as a spurned lover, pleading for Judah to come back home, pleading for Judah to come to the right mind again to come back to the life that is real and true. Judah had abandoned her true love, God, and in the imagery of the prophet, sold herself cheaply to other lovers, shunning the entire covenant relationship of fidelity and love and faithfulness that was at the very center of what it meant for Israel to be God's people. And once they'd abandoned that kind of fidelity and love, Judah quickly abandoned so many other fidelities, so many other loves. Their covenant relationship with other humans, their neighbors, their sisters, their brothers. And when we arrive at chapter 6 this morning, Micah has some stern words. And here, Micah says, The controversy of the Lord. The Lord has a controversy with his people. And he will contend with Israel. That word controversy means probably in this context to have a a verbal but very heated legal dispute. It's dealing with the facts and it's disputing them. But the first meaning of this word controversy is to have a brawl. I like this image. I don't really like it. I'm disturbed and intrigued by this this image of God having a brawl with his people. Does our vision of God's love include how God will contend with us? How God will confront us? how God will get in our way when we're doing wrong, how God might brawl with us. And yet ever the friend, ever the lover, God asks Israel what God had done to deserve this kind of rejection and estrangement. What have I done to you, God asks. How how have I wearied you? How have I inflicted on you more than you could bear? How have I worn you out? How have I moved you to abandon me? And then God does what God seems to do often through the prophets. He gives them a history lesson, which is way more than history. It's an intimate family story. He says, I've delivered you from the long crushing bondage and slavery in Egypt. Don't you remember? I was the one. You you were in bondage in Egypt, and, and I'm the one who carried you out of bondage. This is the same 
bondage that, that God would appeal to in Deuteronomy about Israel's love for the foreigner. And God would say, For the Lord your God loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You will also love the stranger. For you were once a stranger in the land of Egypt. And then God says, you remember those wise leaders that I gave you? Moses and Aaron and Miriam? That good woman and those two good men who were extraordinary leaders and did extraordinary work and how they were a gift to the nation. Don't you remember? I, I'm the one who gave you those leaders. And then he reminded him of this other story, which might be a little less familiar to us, although it's if you grew up in Sunday school, you always heard this one because this was one of the great stories. The story of how Moabite King Balak wanted to cast a curse on God's people. And so he called out a prophet, Balaam, and said, I'll give you all of this reward if you'll just, if you'll just come and you'll cast a curse on God's people. And Balaam said, I can't really do that. I have to speak whatever God says. But he kept imploring him and raising the ante and offering more and bringing more powerful leaders to him. And finally, God said, I guess go if you want to go. And so he goes. And then there's an angel on the path. And the donkey stops because the donkey sees the angel that Balaam doesn't. And then the donkey uh, you know, just holds his ground, and then Balaam starts beating the donkey. And then this amazing moment in this story, the uh, God, I guess, allows the donkey to speak. And the donkey says, hey, there's an angel in front of you. And it's this crazy story. Like, is this really, is this really how this went down? Um, but in all of this, God says, don't you remember, I, I'm the one who wouldn't allow your people to be cursed. I'm the one who did that. And then he says, don't you remember what I did from Shittim to Gilgal? And this is one of those phrases where when you're a young pastor's kid and there's lots of words you're not allowed to say, you just get giddy over this phrase and try to figure out how to work it into conversations, you know, from Shittim to Gilgal. But Shittim to Gilgal was, was where the Jordan was. This was a, a reminder of how God had taken his people across the deep waters. And God just said, don't you remember this time after time where I have been your faithful God? But the quarrel isn't through. God wants to, to brawl a little bit, and the people want to brawl a little bit too. So this is their answer to God's reminder of these family stories. What are you wanting from us, God? Do you want us to climb to a high place and bow to you? Do you want us to bring more sacrifices, more young calves? Would you finally be pleased if we brought you rams by the thousands? What if we brought you expensive oil, enough to fill thousands and thousands of rivers? What about then? Would that, would that finally make you happy with us, God? Would that be enough to please you? When is it ever going to be enough with you, God? Hey, I tell you what, God, what if we just brought our firstborn and offered them on the altar? What about then? Then, God, would you finally shut up? 
There's a defensiveness here in Israel. I don't know, Judah, I'm not sure if you pick up on that. I'm familiar with this. There's a kind of disengagement that happens whenever something true pricks our soul. Something uh, pricks us and we recognize that there's something we need to deal with but we don't really want to. Whenever we're tempted to just fight back or shift blame, this happens uh, very, very rarely, but sometimes in our house. Maybe Misko will uh, point out that I'm being too hard on the boys or that maybe I'm not being present and attentive. And instead of hearing this and being curious about my impact on the family, sometimes my temptation is like, so what are you saying? I'm a bad dad? Is that what you're saying? When is it ever going to be enough? I'm working really hard here. I'm trying really hard here. When is it ever going to be enough? And uh, these are the moments when Miska just sort of sits back, doesn't really say anything. It's like, hmm, what's going on here? <laughs> but with the people's response to God and my response to Miska, there is, there's no curiosity there's no willingness to look into the depths of the estrangement, the wounding of the relationship. There's only self-protection. There's only defending the ego, mounting a case so that nothing more should be asked of us and we can all just get back to whatever it is our priorities are. This kind of response emerges from one who's working off a transactional view of relationships and identity. Just tell me what I need to do to make it right. Not because I'm really curious about being right with you, but because I just want to get you off my back. This kind of backlash reveals the frustration of one who wants something different than simply to live true and faithfully. Someone who wants something different other than to live in this kind of covenant relationship that Israel and God have. These are the frustrations of someone who has a lot at stake. But if God is good and wants nothing but our good, then nothing is at stake. If Miska is kind and loving and wants nothing but good for me, nothing but good for our boys, then nothing's at stake. The great question then is what does God want? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm even, uh, maybe I'm reading the people wrong. I mean, maybe there was a frustration because of their bewilderment. Maybe they were overwhelmed. Maybe like many of us are, and we really don't know what it is we're to do. Well, I love these moments in the scripture, and they're not as numerous as I would like, where things get really simple. So Micah steps in with some razor clarity here, the way prophets like to do. Maybe these are God's own words to the prophet. Listen, mortal. It's a good word, i.e., not God. Listen, mortal. God's told you what's good. And God's told you what God requires of you. And it's not nearly so complicated as you're acting. This is not rocket science. That's in the Hebrew. Do justice. 
love kindness or mercy, and walk humbly with God. I love that what's put together is that what God requires of us is also what is good. <laughs> it's really difficult uh, to live in a true way with God or with ourselves if we don't marry those things together. That the things God requires of us is also the things that are good, good for us, good for our neighbor. The life that God calls us to is indeed the good life. And I love how he says what God requires of you. It means to seek with care, to look for intently, and it's to do justice. To do justice, to make justice, to actively work toward justice. Justice is the right ordering of human relationships. As Walter Brueggemann says, it's to be sure that our neighbor is well provided for. Justice in scripture is often measured by how it affects the most vulnerable in the community. How are they protected? And on this weekend, I can't ignore how tied into the biblical prophet's vision of justice was justice for the foreigner, the alien, what we call the immigrant or the refugee. The prophet Isaiah said, be a refuge to the outcasts of Moab. Ezekiel said, the aliens must be to you as citizens and should be allotted an inheritance. I mean, obviously, protecting people from harm is also a biblical ideal. Navigating international relations and determining how to best help refugees is sometimes tricky, but the biblical posture and I don't know about other postures, but the biblical posture must be compassion. And it is important for us to protect ourselves and to protect our neighbors, but can we just clearly say that as Christians, self-protection at all costs is not our ideal? As a Christian, safety cannot be our God. There is one God, and he is revealed in Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ laid down his life for the other. We're to do justice, and we are to love kindness, or some translations read mercy. This word love, it's the idea of desire here. It's to breathe after. We are to breathe after kindness and mercy. It's not just a warm feeling, but this notion of kindness here in Micah is a, a solidarity to covenant relationships. It's the determination to be persistently in solidarity with and faithful to the loving good of another. We are to do justice we are to love kindness and mercy, and we are to walk humbly with God. We are to move toward God in a posture of bending toward God. It's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of prayerful surrender. Now, some of us want to emphasize justice and mercy, but 
want to think as though a right relationship with God is somehow an add-on. Others of us want to emphasize some interior relationship with God, but think that justice and mercy are somehow separated from that. And darn it, if Micah doesn't sit here and just insist on both. We are to do justice. We are to love mercy and kindness. And we are to walk humbly with God. In fact, it seems that walking humbly with God, at least for a Christian, is precisely that thing that empowers us to know how to do justice and how to love mercy and kindness. To know in whose name and by what power and where to go and what our resources are and what it is that the kingdom of God calls us to. So what in God's name does God want from us? It is uh, pretty simple, according to Micah at least. It's not easy. It may be very costly, but it's simple. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Or we could flip a few pages over and hear some of Jesus' words, which reflect the same energy, the same truth. That we're to love our God and love our neighbor as ourself. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.